Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. Verse 11, here we go. But Christ. So all the old stuff, right? But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So, but Christ, the old priest, you know, and and what they represented and what they were able to do through the law was to cleanse the people in the sense of cover the sins of the people. And how would they do it? We're going to talk about it a little bit now is about through the sacrifices. Uh, if you actually look at the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, they actually work out really good. This guy, Michael Morales, did a really good job of uh, kind of like, um, how would you say, like uh, mapping it out. That it's, it's Genesis like a prologue, Deuteronomy is like an epilogue, and uh, Exodus and Numbers are like bookends to Leviticus. And so it's like they're dealing with wilderness. They're dealing with all these different things. And so they're, they're but in the middle is Leviticus. So the center of the book is the smallest of all of them, uh, in a sense, uh, or the, has the least, you know, where you go, what, what is all of this? It has, it, it's, it's Exodus. I'm sorry, not the smallest. The Leviticus, right in the center of it. And right in the center of Leviticus in chapter 16 is the Day of Atonement. So everything is building up to the Day of Atonement, and it has like the sacrificial laws and the ceremonial laws and all these different things, and it's all through the blood, and then you get to the Day of Atonement, and then it's how to remain in the place of holiness through those same things. So it's like going up the mountain, it's got the the structure of A, B, C, B, A. (laughs) Leviticus in the center. The center of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. So it was always centered around this place of atonement, of covering. And it is through the atonement that we see what would ultimately be the great atonement through Jesus, where he'd actually rid the world of sin and death through blood. So Christ came as a high priest. Well, we, with a new high priest, we get a new covenant, Right? And we have this perfect, great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and he's with us and he gets it. So we have this high priest. Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Uh, And again, if you know perfect, the word perfect is, is perfect or mature. So I like the idea of mature. It's like what is, it's, it's reached its fullness, right? Think about like a caterpillar and it's, you know, starts like a chrysalis, you know, it starts like this and then moves all through its stages. And the next thing you know, you have a butterfly. We did one of those little butterfly farm things, you know, where you have it and, and they're like hanging out in the chrysalis and then all of a sudden one's like a caterpillar and it starts, or, or one's a caterpillar and then becomes the chrysalis and one's like, one of them was knocking them down and we're like, you're like Satan, you know, it was trying to kill all the other ones, you know, and then uh, they eventually become butterflies and we took them to Jim and Melody's house because they have like an awesome garden. And we brought them over there. We're like, they're going to love it here. And one of them came and it like landed on my finger. And I was like the butterfly whisperer. I was just sitting there. And I was just like looking at it. And we're like, I was just totally loving it. And then one of them flew up and then it got taken out by a bird. 
so that's a good like life lesson for your kids. Okay, um, what a beautiful situation we have here. But the idea is is that it's now matured and it doesn't really look like it did in the same way. You know, a caterpillar has its own you know glory in a sense, but nothing like a butterfly. And so this is the fulfillment of it all. It comes out very differently. Uh, so Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation. The tabernacle before was made with hands and it was very specific and it was, everything was representative and it was in a sense going back to a garden-like state or a heaven state where God is and dwelling. And, but it was made with hands. This tabernacle is not made with hands. So what is this tabernacle? John 2 18, uh, 18 through 21. So the Jews answered him and said, what sign do you show us to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy the temple. Remember the tabernacle was the temporary version of the temple. It was like the tent version. The temple was the built up with the walls and, you know, uh, and it was quite a, a work, especially Solomon's temple was unbelievable. So same temple tabernacle thing. So he says, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up after, uh, up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. So what is this new tabernacle? This new perfect tabernacle not made with hands? It is, it is in the body of Christ. And what are we told now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us? So what is our body? The temple of the Holy Spirit. So this, this idea of the place where, remember what the tabernacle and the temple represented was a place where God dwelled with his people. It was a place where you could go and you could actually meet with God. You could deal with sins and, and receive, in a sense, forgiveness that's where you would go. Now, through the person of Jesus, we now have access whenever we want. We got to take that. I mean, that's a, such a good, that's such good news. And so through the person of Jesus, now this tabernacle, this temple is not made with hands. It's, it's his body. And he's the first one to do it because he was saying, I'm going to destroy this temple. Eventually the temple would be destroyed. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about he would be destroyed and then be raised up three days later. He was, he was symbolizing the old is, is passed away. Now we're in the new. So yeah, the tabernacle is where men met with God. It was where blood and covering of sin took place. And that is exactly where we find uh, our meeting with God is through the mediator, Jesus Christ. And how was our sin dealt with? It's through the blood that he shed for us. So it's the same thing, but it's so rich. It's the fulfillment of the shadow. Verse 12, not, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works, uh, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? So was it effective? Yes. 
the sacrifice of Jesus, it was effective. Yes, or, I mean, what, or if you take the old, the old system, was it effective? Yes, it was in what it was meant to do. It was effective for the shadow, right? If they handled it well, if they did everything that they were supposed to do, God would fight for Israel. And, and we could see, you know, throughout the Old Testament, when God fights for Israel, they just win against all odds. And you look and you go, well, there's just, there's no way they should be able to win this battle. There's no way they should be able to win this victory. And then they win. And then the ones that they think, oh, we got this, no problem. They fail miserably. So the idea is that, is that God dwelling with them in the camp where there's no, you know, sin has been dealt with and, and there's they has that relationship with them. They benefited greatly through that. He dwelt with them in the camp. He would also forgive those sins. There'd be a covering it would be dealt with. And there was a lot of blood. There was like a plumbing system for all the blood they had to deal with. I mean, it's, it's pretty gnarly. I was reading in a commentary. It was talking about like how uh, this one guy was talking about the old hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood, uh, flows through Emmanuel's veins. It's like, that, that is such a gnarly song. It's like, if you're into like death metal and stuff, like it has nothing on that, you know? It's like, there's a fountain filled with blood and it's like, and, and we're all like praising in the blood. You're like, whoa, this is, this is heavy. Jesus is metal, you know? Okay, not really, but you get the idea. But the fact that there was blood, it's meant to be, in a sense, offensive. So as there was uh, the, the covenant at the time served its purpose, there was an effectiveness to it, but there's so much more in what they're looking for, this, this consistent cry we're hearing from the author of Hebrews. How much more in Christ? And, and we start off with the study of angels and we're blown away with the greatness of angels, how God uses angels and, and the power and the might and all this. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. But we would miss the, the whole point of the story if we stopped right there at the angels and didn't recognize that Jesus is so much greater than the angels. So every single part that we look at, we go, wow, this is amazing. And then we look at how much greater Jesus is than all the different signposts. So the supremacy of Christ. Uh, and now we're dealing with not just uh, a covering for our sin, which is atonement, but we're actually dealing with a cleansing where we're, it's able, it says in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, this is understated how beautiful it is to have a cleansed conscience. You know, if you remember, uh, you can remember, maybe you don't have to remember very hard. It's like right now, <laughs> what it feels like to have a guilty conscience. And there's something about, uh, even if you're a kid and you lied or, or you did something and you said you didn't do it and, you know, kind of came down to where you're just like, what am I going to do? Am I going to live with this lie the rest of my life? Am I going to be miserable? Or am I going to just tell the truth and deal with the consequences? There was actually something sweet about the consequences in some sense because of what was found on the other side was like there was a cleansed conscience. So that's why in 1 John, it tells us that we're to come, come to him and confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So, so there's a, a constant reminder for his people to not act like we've got it all together, but to be constantly coming back 
before the throne, coming back to Jesus, coming back to our high priest, our sympathetic high priest who can actually deal with our sins, just like the sins of the people had to be dealt with by the high priest. He had to deal with them uh, in a proper way and, and then, uh, or else that sin would come back to bite them. Because what is the wages of sin? And it's immediate. Like what does the garden have? What happens? Death. Death, spiritual death. The next thing you know, it's physical death. Because guess what? They need clothes now. And guess where they're going to get them? They're going to kill some animals. And now, guess what? The whole system is built on blood. Because as Leviticus 17 tells us, the life is in the blood. 1711, life is in the blood. This is a, a consistent belief throughout the Old Testament, the idea that blood, the life is in the blood. So life must be given to, to deal with the death that's going on in the culture. And we might say, I don't like that. That's barbaric. Why did God do it this way? Why would he, you know, whatever. It's because sin is really nasty and gnarly. It's not our friend. And it really does bring forth death. You know, when you're younger, you don't think so. Kind of seems like, okay, I don't know. Everybody's kind of doing all right. Everybody's kind of, and, and then all of a sudden there's a real harsh contrast to where all of a sudden you start realizing like, whoa, like death is taking place in you or in me. I am experiencing, because it's, 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 as it's becoming, you're becoming more uh, conditioned and more, uh, um, you're, you're becoming overwhelmed by the death and it actually often leads to actual death. And what's so cool is that a lot of times those people who look like they're on death's door can come back to Christ and there's a whole new life in them. Brad, you've been working on a documentary and it's, a, it's about his friend who's deep, got deep into heroin addiction and should have died multiple times. And you look at the pictures of the shriveled up, there's one specifically where he's on the couch and he's shriveled up and he's just, and you look at him now and he's this ripped dude that look like is sharp in his mind. And you're like, who could have possibly seen what started out as a good looking, normal kid, good athlete, good at all kinds of stuff, music and everything to a shriveled up, stuck on the couch, nothing, and then redeemed again to life. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly the point. And not just like to redeem our bodies, but also to redeem our minds. And that is such a beautiful thing. And, and, and we've stated it many times, but really the battle does go on in our minds first. Any sin that, that you find yourself in down the road, big stuff, there was a mind thing that it started with. But the cool thing is, is it's not just, you know, being able to control our minds, but it's, it's able to have a cleared conscience to be able to be right with God and right with one another because we're able to bring our burdens to God and he can actually deal with them. Because remember, the, the system, the mosaic system was still limited. It, it covered the sins that, like, that they didn't know they were doing in a sense. Like, and so there was all kinds of penalties that were paid for sins. That there's omission and commission. There was sins that they chose to be a part of. And it was, the, the, the results were disastrous. But it's such a beautiful word that he's able to cleanse our conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. And that's exactly what it's come to do, is to change us from the inside out. Um, I was just talking to Billy about this, but I, I, when I spoke at the camp, it, the whole theme was on Psalm 23. And um, my section was on like, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days. Uh, uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. It's like that, that part of the, of the psalm, depending on which translation you have. But the idea was the word was tov. And that's the same word was, it's a Hebrew word. And, you know, God created day one. God created, and it was tov, tov, tov. Everything was tov, you know? And so this good, it's a prosperous good. It's like what we talked about, Psalm 1 kind of good. It's a good that produces goods. It's a good that makes more good, more life. And so that's what we now get to be a, become a part of. Not just something where you're kind of like, that's the blessed life. A blessed life is a life of abundance. So there's the picture that we get from that Psalm 23 and that we see in Psalm 1 that speaks about, you know, not the man that turns into chaff, that his life's worth nothing, but one that's planted by the rivers and that's producing fruit. That's a life that produces goods. And it's the abide, John 15, as we abide in Christ, where he's the vine, we're the branches, and what happens? We produce fruit. So he's able to, to, to not just take us and cleanse our conscience for conscience sake and go, oh good, I feel better. Uh, hopefully I don't sin again. It's like, no, now you've been renewed for a thing. You've been, you've been renewed and redeemed for an actual thing. And so you might find, yeah, my, my life I feel like is sputtering. I don't know what I'm doing. It might be just a lack of like, you don't know the mission you've been called to, that you've been brought in, you've been asked to be part of this thing. So, because it's easy to get there. Verse 15, I need to move it here. Okay. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are, call, are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Who is the mediator of the old covenant? The Mosaic. That's the hint. Moses, right? He's the one that went before God and God told him, you know, gave him the law and he started this whole thing, burning bush, you know, all the whole thing, right? The one that brought him out, whatever. And Moses, as we've talked about, was a Christ type, but very much not Christ, especially if you follow the life of Moses. He wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land because of unbelief. Because he struck a rock and was like, dude, old covenant's gnarly, man. <laughs> She's like, I've struck a rock. Okay. Um, so we have this new mediator of the new covenant by means of death. How did he mediate for us? By dying. By actually being the sacrifice so that we can now eat, uh, receive the promise of eternal life. For where there is a testament, there also, there's, must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives, therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Again, the idea of blood. This is like a will, a will, last will and testament. You know, uh, that, that's kind of what it's talking about. Um, again, the life is found in the blood. This is, this is how it was dealt, how death was dealt with was through the life of the blood of another, of a cleansed 
I mean, the, the symbolism is rich. And the goriness reminds us again of how much sin has cost us. Verse 19, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop and sprinkled both the, uh, the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Again, sin brings forth death. The wages of sin are death. It started from the very beginning and it continued on. I mean, what was, what was one of the first sins we see after Adam and Eve's fall? Well, it's one of the first things that we see involving their children. What? Murder. Is that insane? A brother murders his own brother. Over what? jealousy. <laughs> like it, it does not take long for sin to have its full effect. And, and then now, and, and how does God appeal to Cain? He's, he's basically like, if you would have done good, it'd be fine. Like, but Cain knows he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so his brother doing what he was supposed to do What's, what's he dealing with? A guilty conscience. And as his guilty conscience takes root, he has to justify himself. And by the way, we're experts at justifying ourselves, aren't we? We can talk ourselves into anything. I was just reading, I was talking in this book, and I was talking about how like, important it is to have people in your life that can speak truth into your life. Because we're expert manipulators with ourselves. And we've talked about this a bunch of times. That's why the idea of to become more holy isn't living in a cave somewhere in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's really not to say that you shouldn't have times of getting out into a cave in the middle of nowhere every once in a while. And that's also really important to deal with God on your own terms without distractions, without any of that junk on his terms, allowing him to speak to you. But it's really built and worked out in through community where you have people that can call what's going on in your life that you've kind of gotten used to it. You know, and that's uh, the idea of like, if you go to someone's house, everyone's house has a smell, you know, except for yours, right? It does have it. <laughs> that's a dangerous feeling because if you don't know what it is, if you don't know what the smell is, you don't even know if it's good or bad. But how does that happen? You've gotten used to it. You've just become used to it. And in your mind, it's been, in a sense, what you might have thought at one point was something. You've become desensitized to it, and you've learned, okay, this is the way it is. That's the way it goes, whatever. It's like if, if you hire someone into a new company, say you're, you're building a business, uh, and, and someone who's really competent, uh, the first six months is where you actually can get the most intel as to how your systems are working, by asking them, does this all make sense? And it might be they just don't really get it. Or, or like being honest and saying, hey, can you speak to us, whatever, what's going on here, all this kind of stuff. But pretty soon you become part of the machine. 
And then now you're justifying it together. And now you have a whole group that's able to justify your actions. And so we wonder, how do we get so far off? How do groups get so far off? This is exactly how they do it. And a lot of it has to do with the echo chamber. And, and, and again, we've spoken about this many times, the, uh, the uh, rise of the algorithm in social media. Oh, you like that? I got more of that. Oh, you like the way that guy said that? Here's 15 other guys saying it the exact same way. Do you feel like you're on the right team now? And, and what's interesting is you go, yeah, of course, that's good for me. But when I see other people do it, it's no good. But the idea is that we need to be careful because we can become so desensitized and so normalized by stuff that's really should not be there. That's why it's a good thing to have somebody else come into your life. And the idea of even having like somebody, you know, go meet with like a a marriage counselor or something where they can talk to you. uh, That's a good thing. It's not like a last ditch thing where you're like, "Uh oh, oh, I don't want them to think something's bad here. The idea is that like they're able to say something and find something that's not normal that you have just gotten used to and your friends have gotten used to and your family's gotten used to, but they go, that's, that's a weird, you know, that's weird. Did you know that about you? And it's like, that's offensive. You know, it's like, yeah, it's offensive, but it's also weird, you know? So let me encourage you with that. And you go, wait, it is weird. And you start thinking like, that is kind of weird. It's, it, from, it's from simple things to how you pronounce a word, you know, to how you do, I don't know. There's all kinds of different ways it, it can manifest itself. That's how you write? How do you hold a pencil? Have you ever seen some people's like, are you, is your finger broken? How do you do that? Double jointed and, you know, who, ta- who let you learn that way, you know? But your penmanship's better than mine, so that's Okay. Yes, it works out. But the idea is like, we need people to be able to speak into those things. And so uh, this, the wages of sin is, it, it's death. And so it's so easy to become like synonymous with our culture is, is ingrained in sin. So it's ingrained in death. And so what do we see? What is the, a lot of the fruits of that? It's death. But how does God you know, what, what is his desire for his people? To bring life, to bring truth. That's to bring life. That's to break down strongholds. That's to uh, allow people to come to the place where they meet with God and their consciences can be cleansed by the, by the, the, the washing of, you know, God's amazing grace and mercy over them. So sin brings forth death and the wages of sin our death. Adam and Eve, they killed that animal, uh, you know, and the next thing you know, there was brothers killing each other all over their con- all over his conscience. I don't like that you did well and I didn't. I need to remove you from the situation. Did not take long. It's meant to be offensive because sin is offensive. Sin's offensive to our, our whole world. When, when sin enters into our lives, it's absolutely offensive. If when your car gets broken into... What do you feel? Violated, offended. Like that is literally like it's, you feel violated. I mean, yeah, I've gotten my car broken into a couple times and you're just like so mad. You're like, where are you? And it's like, someone's like, I'm here, you know, like long gone. Not, 
You're like ready to chase and you're like, ah, oh, I'm so angry. It happened once where I was with a youth kid and uh, I was at Chipotle in Redlands and um, I, had a can- I had a computer uh, and I, had, I thought it was hidden, but it wasn't very hidden, I guess. It was in a bag and I came out, my window was busted out and it was gone and I was so mad. I took, I took this youth kid to lunch and I'm just like, let's find him. And he was like down. He was from, he was from the right side of town for me. And he's like, let's go, dude, let's do this. And I'm like, this is not discipleship. Like, this is not the type of discipleship we should be doing. Um, as I had to apologize and stuff, but it's like, it, cause it's violating to you. There's a violation and sin is absolutely violating. So when someone dies, it's the result of sin. And there's a violation in your life. That's why death hurts so much. It doesn't feel right. It's not supposed to feel right. Because the wages of sin are, in, in fact, death. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we're now, we're, he, death is now seen, in a sense, with different terms. It's like, I don't want you to think about it in the same ways. Think about it like it's sleep. And when you wake up, it's the best it'll ever be ever again. But there's still a thing where on this side of eternity, we mourn deaths and we're supposed to. Because there's still, there's something not right about this place still. Yes, Jesus has come. Yes, he's establishing his kingdom and we're part of that. But there's still something so, amen. Have you, you guys know, you experience death. It's like, yeah, they're a believer. Yeah, they're awesome. And I miss them every stinking day. So this is death. Therefore, 23, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The the author of Hebrews is sometimes so interesting, the way he says stuff. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Again, copies, not the real thing. The symbols, now we enter into the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. He's the real way. He brings heaven here. He, he is, he, he, he's the one that, that opens up our access to the Father. Now we have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was living inside of him in us. Incredible news, beautiful news. The old was like a copy. It was like a a blurry vision, a glimpse. Now we have the real thing and it's beautiful. What a difference. This, this, uh, oh no, I lost my place here. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense to the old, like, like to do the old stuff made sense in its time. But now there's like, there's nothing there anymore. There's nothing that you could possibly go back to. It was a copy and it was used for a season and now it's done. No, it was like a, a template and now we've got the real thing. So there's nothing to go back to the, what was a, a, a vision of things to come is now come. And that is the person of Jesus. Remember, Hebrews is always, about, it's about the supremacy of Christ, the fulfillment, the perfection, the, the, the 
uh, the intricacies. Everything that you saw there was pointing to him and now he's here. So we don't have to go back there anymore. You know, you, you go on a long trip and you get in your car and you drive. And uh, especially if it's a really long trip, uh, you're looking at cities that are really far away, but they're not the cities you're actually even going to, right? Like when we drive to, uh, you know, say Colorado or something, and it'll be like, all right, this many miles to Riverside, and then this many miles to San Bernardino, this many miles to Barstow, then it's this many miles to Vegas, this many miles to St. George, this many miles to Cedar City, and now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now it's this many miles. You finally get on the right freeway. It's this many miles to Grand Junction. Oh, yeah, we're almost there. And so once you get to the destination where you've actually been trying to go the whole time, you don't go back and be like, I want to see those signs again. Those signs were so good. Those beautiful signs. I remember when it said 152 miles from Las Vegas and my heart skipped a beat. You're like, no, those were signs that were pointing to a destination. And now we have it. So there's no looking back. There's no looking back. We look at the signposts and go, you know what? Those were really good signposts. They were accurate because I was following it on my little trip meter. Yep, they were accurate. That was 152 miles right on. Dude, who, you know what that tells me? Whoever, whoever designed these roads, they were paying attention and they were doing a good job. They were thinking it through. They didn't just have to do it. They're like, it's like Las Vegas is... Um, kind of a lot of miles, right on there, you know, around a hundred. No, it says an actual number and you could follow and you could go, okay, there you go. And you start realizing, oh, the exits are the miles from where the freeway started. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And you start tacking them off. You go, wow. Okay, cool. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. And there's this expectation and there's this hope. So there's nothing to go back to. We're, 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 the, we're to the place. Enjoy it. The long journey is here. And we are in the age that gets to experience it. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 25, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So like the day of atonement was once a year. Jesus doesn't have to go die on the cross again once a year. He's done it once and for all. What's interesting is, is him dying on the cross, was, it was not like it was like a special thing that was reserved only for him. I mean, there was two other guys dying on the cross while he was dying. It was, it was a criminal's death. There was nothing cool about it or glamorous about it, but you, it's hard to find a better picture of, of defeating death and sin. It's man's, it, it, it was like at the time, man's most cruel and wicked imagination was to come up with a cross. You know, as a kid, I would think, oh, you know, somehow you think, oh, the, the spikes in their arms kills them. You're like, that doesn't kill them. I mean, maybe you could catch an artery and they could bleed out or something like that. But you guys know the way that someone who dies on the cross dies, right? Suffocation. So like their legs are pinned, their arms are pinned, and they have to get up every time to breathe. So they're pushing off of it every time to breathe. 
This is gory. It's nasty. It's gnarly. It's, it's like, it's, it's a violation to everything we could possibly think is good in humanity and mankind. It is sin's finest moment. Death of the most creative function. Ugh. And that is exactly why Jesus died in that way. To, to, to take on the worst that, that could possibly be dealt to him and taking on, by taking on the sin and the death once and for all. No more yearly provision. And again, no power returning to the law. I mean, how many, and, they, and there hasn't been a return to like the animal sacrifices. You'd have PETA on you quick, you know. And it is appointed for men once to die, but after this judgment. Again, another thing, people don't want to hear this. But re recognizing this sets us up for what we're meant to live for because of the next thing we're about to say. It is appointed once for men to, it is appointed for men to die once after this, the judgment. We're going to die and we're going to have to have an account for the way we lived, for the life we lived, and for what we did with Jesus. That's ultimately what's going to come down to. The life we lived as far as like, you, you know you've been weighed and found wanting in and of yourselves. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have been now cleansed. You're now, uh, you're now with him, even as that sinner on the cross was able to hear, you know, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin and salvation. He paid the debt of sin and he's coming back. And when he comes back again, it's no longer a need to atone for sin or deal with sin. Like in the sense of like, you know, to free us from it. We've been given that option. We've been given that, that power, but he's bringing the fulfillment of our salvation. And if you look at the imagery of when Jesus comes back, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. I mean, it is going to be so sick <laughs> seeing Jesus come back to come and, and take his church, his bride, to come and redeem those who have been found in him. But we also have to deal with the fact that there's a judgment. So what we do with Jesus matters. And, 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 the idea that it just matters like, okay, because of heaven and everything. Oh yeah, I definitely want to go to heaven. But it's the idea that it matters here and now. I think the quote was C.S. Lewis. I'm going to kind of botch it, I think, because I don't have it written down. But he was saying like, what's interesting is that when, when we go to heaven, or what, what'll, be, what'll be surprising to many is that there will be a lot more diversity in heaven than there will be in hell sin is, it's the same thing. And so you think, oh, this is the way to be yourself. This is the way to be. No, it's the same thing. It's all just varying degrees of death. Where are you at on the scale? Like how far has it gotten you? How much have you, you know, have you ever seen, okay, one more, one more thing. This is disgusting, by the way. Survival shows. Uh, I was watching this one in Alaska and the, the zombie salmon. Have you guys seen those? 
They like spawn. They're, you know, salmon, they die after they spawn. And, uh, and it's the ones that are like, it's the end of the season, the salmon season, and they'll find them. And uh, they're like decomposing. They're dead while they're living. You can't eat them. They're, like, they're, they're actually disgusting. Uh, do me a favor and look it up. Uh, actually, don't. I, I, you can if you want. If you're that type of person, you don't have to look it up right now. Actually, we have a picture on that. No, I'm kidding. But, it, but it, it was like a perfect image of sin being captain, cap, captured by sin. So you're dead while you're alive. But Jesus, he, he, he didn't just come to forgive that. He came to like rejuvenate, bring new life into us to make us new creations in him, to restore what's been broken, to make beauty from ashes, to know the situations of, in your life that have been nothing but pain and death and, and horror. And maybe it's something not just done by you, but it's been something done to you. He wants to meet us in those painful places and to bring life out of them. Because as we allow sin to continue, not just in what we do, but what's been done to us, and now how that has got a hold on us and a bondage on us, and we're victims with a like capital V, he wants to come and restore and renew and, and make, make us no longer slaves to these things. That our conscience can be cleared from what we've done and the things that have been done to us as well. And where does it take place? At the cross. Through the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and that makes us new and renews us. So are you weary? Are you, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Yes. This is where we go for life. This is where we go for, for hope. This is where we go for our peace. So like C.S. Lewis said, Sin, nothing but this, the same thing over and over again. And, and, and it's funny. It's not funny. It makes sense. The idea is that the world will say Christians are all the same. They're all just this. They're all just that. They're not this. They're not that. We are connected with the creator of the universe. And I know so much variety in the body of Christ. And it's, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's promoted that there's different members of the body doing the different things that they've been called to do, working together to make something really awesome. Sin, it's a one-way track. You want to you be different? Don't follow the world. We want to be different. You want to be rebellious. You want to be, you know, uh, uh, stand out, set apart from the world. The only way to do that is going to be found in Jesus because he brings life and he brings hope and he brings, uh, you know, light to everything that we do and everywhere we go. Sorry about the zombie salmon thing, but you get the picture. We've been now made new in Jesus. Uh, sin has been dealt with and we have the ultimate hope that guess what? He's coming back. And we're going to get to hang out with him. So whatever this world throws at us, it's like, with that in mind, we win. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to SteadfastCarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.